When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What's up, everyone? This is Kyle Brown coming to you on the On the Farm podcast, and the farm is sprouting right now. We have young men coming out of the ground, left, right, and center, all over the country, just hitting dingers, creating whiffs. Man, I am already overwhelmed by how many games there are because I was like, oh, yeah, 15 games tonight, Major League Baseball, no big deal. And then minor league baseball started and I was like, thank goodness. And then there was a hundred thousand games and so much to track. And I was like, Oh wow. I remember what this is like. This is like someone who used to run marathons and takes 10 years off. And then it's uh, it like, yeah, I'll just join the Boston marathon, figure it out. No big deal. I used to do this. <laughs> Not a problem. But uh, in order to tackle all the things that happened on day one, we are recording on day two. We're going to handle all the fanfare of day one today. Cause that's fun. As Trevor Huth would say, cause everything in Trevor Huth's world is fun, but I don't have Trevor Huth tonight. I have my man, General Patton, Andy Patton, on the horn. How you doing, man? I am good. I feel you 100% on the overwhelm thing. You know, last year I, I had more free time in my life, and so I was all ready to, like, really dig in to minor league baseball. It was my first year as the Dynasty content manager at Pitcher List, and I was like, I'm going to watch so much minor league baseball. And then it didn't happen, and so I got to dig into old video footage, which was fun. I really enjoyed doing that last year, but now it's back. And I get to actually watch it. And I think your your metaphor was apt. It's, uh, it's It feels already like, oh, what did I get myself into? How the heck am I going to keep up with all of these guys that I've written down over the last year as guys to watch? But uh, I'm going to do my best. And I'm excited to talk about a few of them today. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I totally agree. It's, you know, like uh, you miss a night of Major League Baseball and you're like, you get up, check the box scores. OK, cool. I got a handle on it. Games don't start till about one mm-hmm. o'clock, wherever you are. You know, for you, it's more like 10 o'clock sometimes. Right, but man. For minor league baseball, every now and again, you get like that businessman special or that or that kids' school bus game, and it's you know mm-hmm. the baseball is starting before you even awake on the on the Pacific Coast over there. Yeah. It's like eight a.m. games sometimes. But you know what? That's what we're here for. We're here for mm-hmm. that. We're here for all the mid inning contests that I love. We're here for all the I you know and I want you know what I missed minor league camera angles. Oh. <laughs> it was incredible i was uh we're gonna talk about it tonight but i i got a chance to watch the uh the altoona uh Bowie bay Sox game check out mm-hmm. a couple of the pirates dudes and i always like watching the orioles right now because no matter what level you're at they got someone who's pretty incredible mm-hmm. and uh they had they the camera that they were using for the side angle shots mm-hmm. 2019 model very nice very crisp <laughs> The camera they were using for the behind the picture shot, I'm pretty sure it was recording on VHS. I am, I mean, it was like, it was to say it was night and day would be a disservice to night and day. Um, I, it was, I mean, and you know, it was raining. So the new camera wasn't picking up anything. So it literally looked like they were just switching between torrential downpour and nothing. 
and I was just like, well, how much is this rain? I can't tell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember uh, when I was doing, I did a minor league nastiest pitches like series last year, kind of while we, while there were no minor league baseball. And so I got to watch a lot of footage from a lot of different games and it's incredible. I, I remember, I think what I thought was the nastiest pitch on this group far and away was a Braylon Marquez, like 92 mile an hour slider, but you could not see it at all because the camera was like in the shortstops, like a GoPro on the shortstop. So I'm like, you can't like for a lefty, like you can't tell that that pitch moved at all. And I'm like, that is so unfair. And then there was an Eli Morgan changeup, which Eli Morgan's pitcher in the Cleveland system, a guy that I really like and he's got a really filthy changeup but the camera was so close to his body like so zoomed in that he releases the pitch and you basically don't see it until it darts away at the last second because his body's blocking it and i'm like how how the heck are these the camera angles like you can't see anything at all it's it's a beautiful mess and i love it yeah no it's the best i, I also am a big fan of the uh, uh we'll call them maybe like unpaid interns that are doing some mm-hmm. of the game calling and you mm-hmm. can just you can feel the the nervousness just coursing out of their out oh, of yeah. their voices. It's fantastic. It's so much fun. Ah oh, man, I can't wait till I can get to some minor league games. They took them all away from me in here in Colorado, but I will I will make my <laughs> way somewhere to get to some of that that good nectar. That good. Well, Head up here, my friend, because I'm about 45 minutes away from the Everett Aquasox, and I know that uh, every single pitcher in their pitching rotation is somebody that I'm going to want to watch this year. So that's uh, that's the place to be right there. Seriously, yeah, I got a trip planned to Seattle in June for uh, mm-hmm. I don't know week week to eight days, nine days. Can't remember. I didn't buy the tickets, and um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. There, I mean, I'm, I'm I don't know, I might even get to a little Tacoma. There you go. Um, see uh see how far i can convince the the wife and kid to uh to roam away from seattle so i can go <laughs> check out some stuff up there because yeah a lot of a lot of good a lot of good minor league baseball up where you are definitely yeah yeah definitely yeah uh well i feel like let's where should we where should we start i feel like let's dive into uh the game that we both uh took a little bit of time and watched which is the mm-hmm. Which, which was the aforementioned Bowie Bay Sox playing the Altoona yep. Curve in Altoona, rainy Altoona. And I tuned into this game to really, you know, check in on D.L. Hall, check in on his control, see where that was, obviously checking in on the velocity, though we were relying on velocity reports from the stadium, which can go many different ways. I, mm-hmm. I tend to feel like that's boosted up a little bit, and the announcers were letting me know, because not, not all these minor league games have – uh, let's see how to have uh, have velocity readings, have a radar right. gun that that they give to you uh, on on air. So you usually find a little bit more of that in AAA, and and then a couple of the more uh, how shall you say uh, well off franchises tend to maybe mm-hmm. have a few more of those uh, lurking down their minor league systems. But I uh, before we get to DL Hall, I, I feel like I gotta talk about Ronzi Contreras um, for for the Altoona Curve and and the Pirates fresh over. Uh, from the Yanks in the Jameson Tyone trade. And I got to say, based on what I was, what I watched, which was utter dominance. I mean, out of control dominance. Uh, he threw the first, first nine batters that he faced. Uh, well, he struck out the first four. Um, and then through the first nine batters, he induced 12 whiffs. He was tossing the, the velocity, no matter what gun you were using was inconsistent. I mean, you know, they were fastballs, 93 92 there were fastballs all the way up to 97 um and he was he was really pounding and attacking hitters uh north and south 
which I sort of like to see because his his breaking balls absolutely were crisp despite the rain. I was sort of surprised that he was able to that to, to be able to throw a lot of the breaking balls that he did in the rain because they were I mean they were falling completely off the table and he was he was dropping them in at the top of the zone occasionally. He was uh, bouncing them occasionally. His fastball, he was playing up in the zone, down in the zone. Uh, definitely a little bit of a generous strike zone, I would say, overall speaking, for uh, for what for what he got. But man, I mean, he he made Adley Rutschman look foolish a couple of times. I mean, very foolish. And uh, he was striking guys out with with all of his all of his pitches, all of his arsenal. He was working quick. He's pounding the zone. He didn't really get to uh, too many tall counts. And um, you know, he gave up a little bit of hard contact when he did. There's it wasn't it wasn't like you know double stuff or anything like that. He didn't give up any homers, but the singles that that people did get off him were pretty well scorched up the middle. Uh, but that was, I mean, he struck out eleven guys in five innings, and he worked quick, and it was very impressive to see. It was a kind of a kind of start that I don't know. You 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 almost feel like the I hate to say it, I don't I want to whisper it, but I almost feel like the Pirates may have got one over here on the Yankees with the amount of talent that they were. If if Ronzi Contreras is anywhere near what he showed in this double A game, <clears throat> facing some pretty solid hitters, they with between him, Yuhure, uh, Kanan Smith, Najigba, I mean, these he, he, all of these guys played well. Um, and Yuhure has already made a start in the in the major leagues and was okay. So yeah, I don't know what. Um, before we get to DL Hall, what uh, what did you check out from Contreras? What was your take on him? Yeah, I mean, I I thought this game was so fun because I mean it was the two best pitching performances in all of minor league baseball happened in the same game, which is always fun. And I think uh, you know we we've talked about this a little bit on the previous episode that I was on, kind of talking about the the reputations that organizations have with regards to how they develop certain players. And I think this this pitching, I mean, it's one game and it's. For, particularly for Contreras, it's his first game in a Pittsburgh uniform. So you don't want to take too much away from it. But these are two teams that really have probably the most negative reputations specifically regarding how they develop pitching. Like in all of baseball, they probably have the worst reputations. And this was a really good game to help to really start trying to kind of shift that narrative. I think it's probably a little unfair that it's still sticking with, with both these teams, to be honest, uh, Pittsburgh has overhauled most of the people who were around when they had these, this negative reputation. And we've already seen some fruits of that success with like JT Brubaker. Uh, and I think we'll see it with guys like Zuhure this year and potentially with Contreras, you know, he, he looked phenomenal in this game. And again, because of how recent he is to the organization, you don't know exactly how much of it was what Pittsburgh did, but he, I mean, he looked absolutely fantastic. I don't think his command was as good as a five innings with zero walks start will look like, like you mentioned, the, the zone was somewhat generous, but he, he still looked like he had decent command. His command when he was in the Yankees organization was always pretty solid. So it's not like this is a brand new thing for him. But yeah, he he came out. He he put pitches more or less where he wanted to put them. Uh, I thought his breaking stuff looked really sharp, like you said. Uh, and to strike out Adley Rushman three times is fantastic. I don't think that, you know, Rutschman is not going to, he's going to strike out a fair amount. That's part of his game, I think, a little bit. But that's still a heck of a way to get your, your career started in Pittsburgh. And I was uh, surprised. I, I didn't think that he would be bad by any means i thought that he would be good but he's a 21 year old kid you know that his last time pitching was in 2019 was at single a so he's up you know arguably two levels uh to at this point and yeah he looked fantastic i was really uh, really pleased to see what he was able to do in that game yeah absolutely and it was um it was also nice to see you know one of the one of the benefits of of watching minor league baseball games on the MILB TV, obviously 
better to watch them live. You get a, a much better understanding of, of what the player is, is giving, you know, giving to you in terms of performance, but you, you, you miss a lot of the nuggets that these minor league baseball announcers have. Um, and you mm-hmm. miss a little bit of that, uh, that insight that they have in terms of what, you know, what the team is thinking and, and, you know, they're talking to the players, they're talking to the local, local, local crew. So one thing that I sort of just a, just a nugget was in there is that O'Neill Cruz for the, for the pirates was still uh, playing shortstop. <clears throat> and, you know, they were like, well, the plan is to continue to play him at shortstop. We're going to, we're going to really see this idea through. We're going to really see if, uh, you know, a guy who's six, seven uh, can actually perform at, at shortstop long-term. And we're not just going to say it doesn't make sense. So we'll put you in the outfield prematurely. So that was just one of those little nuggets that I, that I appreciated being like, okay, well, yeah, I wasn't really sure, but he's, he's, uh, he's, he's playing shortstop at double a, we're going to see what it actually looks like. And, you know, he, he actually availed himself. He got a hit off DL hall and, uh, <clears throat> You know, like, and we can get to DL Hall right now, but not I was, a lot of people got hits off DL Hall. <laughs> no, not. Yeah, he also struck out ten. So yeah, Contreras struck out eleven. He struck out ten. Uh, DL Hall only walked two guys, and he gave up a couple of hits, like I mentioned. Um, but I was I was really tuning in to this game to check in on that. You know, I wouldn't even say command. I would just say control because that's really what he's. He has mm-hmm. such such nasty breaking stuff and he throws pretty high gas from the left side. Uh, the stadium gun had him touching 99, uh, at a couple of times sitting a little bit more mid nineties, um, uh, as far as we can trust that gun. And, but the, what I saw from him was a willingness, especially versus left-handers to just drop these breaking balls in on the inside mm-hmm. and not really have that much difficulty controlling them. I mean, two walks and four point, you know, plus innings, is, is not amazing. I guess that's maybe still three, three and a half, four per, per a six inning start. If you just prorated it out like that, as much as that is a flawed way of thinking of things. Um, so yeah. Uh, but I was impressed. Uh, I was really impressed with what I saw, uh, other than his hair. I don't <laughs> understand about the hair. The last one I was watching old games of DL hall, he had like short hair and this, this just looked like he was straight out of the shower. I didn't, I was Pan- I, pandemic hair, man. It was pandemic <laughs> hair for sure. You know, and it's not, it wasn't the, you get a lot of the, like a Zach gallon, right. You get like a flowing mane. Sure. You get the Thor flowing mane, what DeGrom used to have, what Dustin may has. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this was, this man needs some volume. He needs some Pantene pro V <laughs> for sure. But anyway, his pitches ridiculous. Um, absolutely ridiculous. And, and he was, he didn't seem to, he didn't seem to, I guess I've watched him before and it seemed like at times he's really just throwing. He really has very little idea of where those pitches were going. And that was not the impression I got from watching him this time. The impression I got from watching him this time was that he was really working, you know, quadrants. He wasn't, uh, you know, based on where the glove was being put in, what was being called. It wasn't like he was, you know, pinpoint or anything. Um, but it was, it was much better. And the walks that he did give up, they weren't the walks that he's given up in the past where I've seen him, where he's just sort of lost it. And, you know, it's a four pitch walk. It's a, it's a, it's a, who knows where it's going. He really was nibbling a lot more and uh, just wasn't getting the calls at sometimes, or at the very least, you know, he was throwing a good pitch that was just falling for a ball because it was being taken. So I was, I was very impressed with DL Hall. I, I thought that the double a, you know, them put him putting the Orioles, putting him at double a was a, a pretty appropriate, you know, based on mm-hmm. what he has done historically, you know, you're not going to put him in triple a just yet. Uh, but if he keeps having starts like this, he's going to be in triple a real quick. But uh, what was, what was your take on watching hall uh, 
strike dudes out? Yeah, you know, I think he's a guy that I write the stash articles at Pitcher List, kind of talking about players to to hold on to in redraft leagues who might come help your team by the end of the year. And Hall's a guy that I haven't quite moved him onto the top 10 yet, but I'm considering it because I think he's a little bit closer to the big leagues than I might initially have thought. And I don't think he's, you know, he's not going to come up right away, obviously. He's still got some stuff he needs to work on. But he he looked really good in this game, and I do think that, you know, seeing the two walks and, you know, if you certainly if you just look at like fan graphs and you don't take into account that it was only one game, it doesn't look like his walk rate has actually improved. But I think you you really hit the nail on the head with uh, the fact that these weren't like walks where he's just his command is gone and he just can't find the strike zone and he's flustered and all that stuff. This was him nibbling a little bit. And your first start of the season at a new level you're going to nibble a little bit. I think that was okay. And he, he benefited a bit from a big zone, but yeah, I thought his command looked considerably better in this game. And in a, in a, a league right now where there's so much attention on power throwing left-handers, you know, you, so much attention on Shane McClanahan right now because of what he has done in his first two outings. And and as there should be, he's doing a hundred mile an hour with a 93 mile an hour slider from the left side. It's ridiculous. Um, as an aside, I don't know if he'll stick as a starter. We can pin that conversation for later if we need to, but uh, he's looked phenomenal. Daniel Lynch was kind of up and down in his first start, but uh, these power throwing lefties, uh, obviously command is always going to be the big question mark with them, but they're, they're a really fun breed. Uh, and DL Hall is, is right there. You know, he's a guy that, gets overlooked a little bit. I don't think it's talked about quite as much uh, as those guys. Uh, and I think the Baltimore stigma might be a part of it. The fact that he's generally considered Baltimore's second best pitching prospect behind Grayson Rodriguez, maybe has a, a role in that as well. But uh, I, I think if he continues to pitch like this and, and his nibbling gets a little bit more accurate, he just finds the corners as opposed to just missing the corners. Uh, he's going to be phenomenal. You know, I don't, he's not going to strike out 10 in four innings every single time out, but uh, this was, this was a great outing from him and a guy that uh, I anticipate if he doesn't cross the prospect threshold by the end of the season, I expect him to be considerably higher on top 100 lists um, among the top 10, maybe top five, even pitchers, depending on how the rest of the season shakes out. He, he looked fantastic in this one. And I think he's going to continue to look really good. The command will always be the question mark and he'll, he'll need to answer. He'll need to prove definitively that he can fix that or at least improve upon it in order to, to reach his potential, but it's still really, really high. Totally. I, uh, and I, you know, there was, there's, there's places that have slapped a lot of reliever risk on him because of mm-hmm. that command and control issue. And, you know, it's one start and it's the first start of the year and all those things. But if he, if he does have the feel that he exhibited mm-hmm. uh, in this third, I don't, I don't really see how you can keep him out of the rotation. And, you know, as long as you, as long as you build his innings properly, I think, uh, you know, you have a guy who's, especially in the modern model, which is a little bit more five innings compared to six, seven innings. Right. Uh, I really think that, yeah, he's, he's got a future and Hey, we, we saw the fruits of a lot of what Baltimore has been doing in their pitching staff today with, uh, with Mr. John means throwing a yep. not so, not so perfect, perfect game. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so tragic, but you know, I, that, that's almost more notable in, in, in a way. <laughs> yeah. It'll, it'll get more remembered, but also means, I mean, means is a power lefty, you know, with 95 plus and a, a pair of solid secondaries. That's, that's what DL Hall can be. You know, I think that there are some similarities. They don't look all that similar on the bump. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't see, it's not a great straight across comparison, but in a vacuum, like that's not a bad thing for him to shoot for. If he can hone his command in a little bit more, I think his stuff's maybe got a little bit more kind of, a, it looks a little bit better on paper, but 
you know, the, the Baltimore's done it. <laughs> like they did it with John Means. Like that's a great, like you said, that's a really, really good example uh, that's right in front of him, you know? So hopefully he can kind of go on a similar trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from the, uh, from the very good to the mm, not so great, uh, did you have a chance to watch Matt Manning? Yeah, you know, I watched, uh, I didn't watch all of this game. Uh, I watched part of it, had to go do something else, caught some uh, video after that of what I missed. Uh, and it was one of those things where, you know, he five innings pitched, he had six strikeouts, one walk. That's fantastic. That looks really good. Uh, but then he had five earned runs and they basically all came off of three home runs. And that's, that's what did him in. First start at AAA. He had some arm issues last year, which is probably the only reason he didn't make his major league debut alongside Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal kind of backed him up a little bit. I still firmly believe that he will be the best pitcher out of that trio. I haven't wavered in my feeling in that regard. Um, neither Mize or Skubal have done enough to convince me otherwise, um, although Casey Mize had a nice outing today. Um, I just think Manning, he's got four really good pitches. He's got this really nice build for a pitcher. He's six, six, just well-built. His mechanics are smooth. Uh, he's not without his flaws, obviously. And in this game, you saw a flaw that we've really never seen from him before. These three home runs, he made some bad pitches. Like they, you know, they weren't complete flukes. I'm not going to completely discredit the fact that he gave up three home runs in five innings. It's obviously somewhat indicative, but if you look through his minor league career, home runs just haven't been a problem. And of course, you know, double A where he was in Erie is, is more pitchers parks in general, whereas triple A tends to be more hitters park in general. So that probably is going to play a factor. I think we're going to see his home run numbers tick up a little bit. This is probably more of an aberration, but he's obviously got to stay away from the middle of the plate. He's got to, you know, control his controls. Fine. Command needs to be a little bit better. Uh, and he's, you know, he's super young. We're talking about a guy who even with the missed year and everybody's kind of, it feels like there's a little bit of prospect fatigue on Manning because he didn't come up with Mize and Scooble, uh, but he's 23. Like he's still really, really young. He was a high school pick for the Tigers a while ago. So uh, they got to exercise a little patience. I still think he's going to be up this year. I still think he's going to be up this summer, uh, potentially July or so. It kind of depends on obviously what happens with the rest of Detroit's rotation. I don't think Jose Urania can continue to be this good, but if he is, then maybe, maybe that'll push Manning's timeline back a little bit. But uh, obviously I don't think anybody should be too strongly reacting to one game. Uh, I think talking about, you know, the, the improvements that we've seen and stuff like that, obviously if Manning's velocity was like way down, that would be something we'd want to talk about. And it's hard not to, react to the first game when it's been you know a year and a half since we've seen minor league baseball i totally understand that but yeah i if 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 anybody's worried about matt manning after one five inning start where he generally looked good except for a few bad pitches then uh i would tell them to pump the brakes a little bit uh, i i I'm not overly concerned after this outing. I would like to see him have more games where he doesn't give up, you know, 50% home run to fly ball rate. That would be nice. But uh, again, we're not going to see that too much, too much more from him. Yeah, I don't, it it certainly hasn't been an issue for him in the past. I, I was able to go back and and watch that game and just sort of focus on what he was throwing. And it definitely seemed like he, for two of those home runs, he left, uh, he left a lot of meat on the bone, uh, so mm-hmm. to speak, and, and he was punished. For the second home run that he gave up, he, the, he, it was actually hit off of a, a down-and-away curveball that the batter went out and got and took the yep. other way. And that was one where I was like, okay, 
this is why it's important to actually check out what has happened and, and what is causing mm-hmm. those, because that is not a pitch that you are going to see hit out all that often. Um, no. Frankly, it's not a, not a pitch you're going to see swung at all that often. It's not a pitch you're going to see uh, touched all that often, but it was one where the guy went down and got it. And uh, you know, it wasn't even a terrible curveball. It had a hell of, you know, a lot of depth. Um, it, looked, mm-hmm. it looked pretty sharp and it was outside. Uh, and then the guy just went out and took it the other way and went with it and it carried. Um, so that's sort of just a, that's, that's a hard luck stuff amid all the other, you know, not doing really enough of, uh, of he was challenging uh, hitters uh, with that fastball mm-hmm. and uh, he was punished for it for sure. Yep. Yeah. Well, before we continue, we're going to take a quick break from on here from our sponsor. And we're back and we are back. Well, there was a couple of, uh, you know, there, Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show there's another another starter that got uh, that got touched up a little bit. Um, I have not had a chance to to watch this game, and I'm not even sure there's a broadcast. I think there is, but yeah, Quinn Priester with all of the uh, helium that he has had, you know, he just got moved into the top ten for the MLB pipeline for right-handed starting pitchers, things of that nature. Glowing reports about velocity and and, and breaking pitches, and you know, from the Pirates camp, that's hopefully dispelling some of those. Uh, how should I say the yoke of the past uh, of when it comes to their, <laughs> their failures with regard to pitchers um, will actually be interesting to see if they can fix Mitch Keller too. Cause he had a good start against the Padres and it's his first good start of the year. Anyway, I digress. Quinn Priester got hit up a little bit and uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there was also some uh, one, another start that I just wanted to highlight uh, John Doax, Do- Dox Akis. Is that how you say that? That yeah. sounds right to me. <laughs> yeah. Doc Sakis, John Doc Sakis, uh, four innings pitch, two, two hits, five Ks, no walks. That was pretty incredible. Uh, a lot of the low A stuff. I was interested to see where some of the, you know, like 2020 guys that were, uh, uh, or 2019 guys even that were taken uh, in the, in the J2 period, like Maximo Acosta. We finally got some look at him. He hit a home run. Uh, Alexander Mojica, uh, Mojica for, uh, Mojica for uh, for the Pirates. He hit a home run. You know, these are there's a lot of people that are coming stateside who either we haven't seen or maybe they had a little you know stint in the DSL. Uh, Bobby Miller availed himself very well for the Dodgers. Three innings pitched, five K. Uh, yeah, I mean there was there was there was a lot. There was also you know it's interesting we talk about DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez. I was sort of surprised to see Grayson Rodriguez. I mean not at Double A. Uh, he, he's in high A to start the year and, you know, he sort of destroyed Delmarva, uh, the last time that we had major league game or minor league games. And that was, I guess that one, that one surprised me a little bit. And, you know, you never know exactly what an organization is thinking, but like you said, he's DL Hall is thought of as the second best pitching prospect in the Orioles organization. And, 
there's obviously development tracked and they're, they're not the same age. Um, and they're, you know, they, that's just maybe how the organization thinks about them. Maybe they wanted to, maybe they're not comfortable with Grayson Rodriguez trying to pitch deeper into games and they want to sort of limit him to those three inning, four inning starts, you know, in, in high a, but that was just one that surprised me a little bit. He came out and he pitched pretty well. Um, let's see, Grayson Rodriguez, four innings pitched one hit, two walks, five K solid start to the, to the season for him. But I was just surprised that, uh, that he wasn't in double a, and then I sort of had the thought of like, I might need to just rethink how I think about all these levels because we've lost levels, right? Like yeah. I don't, I don't have short season ball anymore. I don't have three levels of a ball. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I listened to, to a solid podcast on the prospects live uh, feed about uh, mm-hmm. sort of placements and where people are, where people were and what they were surprised with and what they weren't and. But halfway through it, I was just like, man, but none of these levels mean the same thing anymore. And it, it, we can we can want them to mean the same thing, but we've lost multiple levels, multiple teams. Depth of minor league teams is not the same. Uh, and placement is not the same. And, you know, there's maybe you could speak to this a little bit, but uh, I heard some rumors that some of the placements in the Seattle organization were actually because they're just closer to Seattle. And so, you know, that's something they want to keep a little bit closer to uh literally in, uh, in location to, to the big club so that maybe there can be a little bit more touch on them. Like George Kirby. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Where did, where did George Kirby end up to start the year? Yeah. George Kirby and Emerson Hancock are both in high a Everett, which, uh, Everett is 45 minutes North of Seattle. Uh, if, if that, uh, and then Tacoma is the triple a organization there 45 minutes South of Seattle. And then their double a team, uh, is not anywhere close to that. I actually can't remember off the top of my head where it is, but it's much farther away. So I absolutely, that's a factor. Um, and Everett used to be low A until this season, obviously when they did all their massive reshuffling, it kind of, it changed that entire league. The Northwest league went from being low A to high A. Uh, so I, I think you're going to see that a lot with that particular level. Uh, I thought Kirby probably would have been a double A guy. Otherwise, uh, Hancock might have even been a double A guy as a really polished arm coming out of college. Obviously, he's never played professionally, but uh, those guys, it seems like they could have maybe been in that camp. But as you know, two of the team's top prospects, guys that they really want to have a close eye on, it almost makes more sense uh, for them to be there. And that that could be happening in Baltimore too. I don't know a ton of the geographic logistics of of everything going on there, but Rodriguez is. Yeah, he's just he's a year younger than Hall. Uh, he hadn't thrown at high A. Maybe it'll be a situation where it's kind of a quick promotion for him. Uh, he had a nice outing, but it that trying to predict promotions is so touchy because organizations just do things so differently, and it's always kind of hard. Uh, there are definitely some that stand out as per, maybe odd or eyebrow eyebrow raising in some ways, but I kind of tend to think that. Uh, the teams have some level of a plan. And like you said, the geography for, for at least for the Mariners uh, definitely makes sense. Yeah. And that's, that's really why I couldn't hate too much on uh, when I heard that the, that the twins were abandoning the Rochester Red Wings for the St. Paul Saints. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, if I could have my AAA team, like a bus ride, like not even right. like mm-hmm. a Greyhound, but like a, like a bus ride from the same city. Like you need, <laughs> you know, an Uber, right. an Uber, if you will, just Uber him to the stadium. I, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd make that call 10 times out of 10 uh, for sure. So, and you, and you never really know. And, and it, one of the factors that is sort of lurking uh, in the, uh, in all the promotions or not promotions, but placements about where, where players have gone to start the year is that normally you have a short season league that isn't even 
playing right now. And, and it, you know, gets going right around the draft. And a lot of those new draftees go and play in that short season league. And so maybe some of these players are where they are because um, the rosters needed to be filled out for one, but what is going to happen in a 20 round draft and where are 20 players going to fit in for a given organization if there isn't, frankly, like an almost an entire team and league dedicated to them showing up in the middle of the year. Uh, so that's, that, that, that was sort of, I had all these, you know, like you said, we're, we're running marathons again. So we're, we having all these, all these running thoughts of what is, what is all this new world like? And, and that was just something that struck me as well as where are all these players going to go? Um, and I think, you know, you, you might see a, a few more aggressive promotions. Uh, you might see, I, I, I guess I really don't know what we're going to see when it comes to that, but I think it's going to be a very, we're going to learn a lot about how the new minor leagues are going to work right after the draft. And it, it may end up where we see a lot less draftees. That, that could be one of the ways that they go with sort of the alternate training site model, if you will, or, or an instructional league model or what have you, is that we're just not going to see a lot of the draftees like we would. We're not going to get that little, you know, 10, 15 game, three start type of situation that we have gotten in the past where we can get just this little hint of, uh, of what they, you know, are bringing to the table when they switch from metal bats to wood bats or you know when they're when they're facing a higher level of competition than maybe they faced in college as pitchers so that's just something that struck me as a you know as a new thing that we're all gonna have to uh have to get used to and i think you know i almost want to say that it seems like teams are going to maybe just break the rules in a lot more ways there isn't going to be such a standard this is where this guy is because we want to see him, he's going to need to earn his salt against this competition. What we're actually going to see is, no, we can develop these players anywhere. What we learned at the alternate training site is that development can happen in, a, in almost a relative vacuum. You know, we can, we can do a lot of good work with these players, and it doesn't necessarily depend on them playing against a quote-unquote even par competition, right? So... I I think you're already starting to see that a little bit Uh, in particular teams are starting to recognize that they're developing their pitching is better served at double a than at triple a for the most part. Uh, And obviously a big factor in that is triple a particularly in like the PCL is very, very, very hitter friendly. And so their statistics drop down. And while you're telling players to not focus on the results as much as the process, if a guy's getting teed off on, even when they're, you know, lazy 350 foot fly balls that leave the yard, that's going to affect the player's confidence. And if you're trying to make your player's confidence as high as possible before you can promote them. So you're seeing a lot of pitchers come up straight from double A. That's really, really common. And I think you're starting to see that a little bit more, even with hitters too. The guys at AAA are more often those kind of quad A guys as opposed to the actual like legit top tier prospects. And I think you're going to start to see even more like it's going to get less consistent. Like you said, Daniel Lynch got promoted straight to the big leagues out of high A. He didn't even play in the minor leagues this year. He hadn't played a competitive baseball game since 2019. Uh, Daniel Lynch is a polished arm, you know, college guy. I understand. But the Royals just said, we think this guy's ready and we don't need to see what he can do against double A. We don't need to see what he can do against triple A, you know, but then they have a guy like Jackson Coar who had a really nice start against triple A. He may come up soon too, but there, there, there's not a consistent plan. You know, they have a, a different plan for all of their players, obviously, but I think you'll see teams kind of break that trend a little bit more. And I think that's a good thing. And then 
the the hope is that when the when we do get new CBA negotiations and hopefully they abolish the service time manipulation stuff that has plagued baseball for however long it has been a decade or so uh, they'll abolish that in some way I don't know what they'll come up with obviously but if that ends up going away and teams are free to promote prospects at any point without having to worry about financials then you could even see more so of this. We're already seeing, you know, I used the Lynch example already, but that's certainly not the only one where we're seeing teams being willing to promote players early in the season or put them on the major league roster. And it's not the norm yet. You know, the White Sox were kind of notorious for doing this. The Padres were notorious for doing this, but it certainly hasn't been become the norm, but it could very soon. And with the use of alternate training sites, uh, with the condensed draft, with less minor league teams, none of those things I think are are necessarily good for the game i'm disappointed in the fact that we lost 40 minor league teams um but it it might inject some life into promoting prospects a little bit sooner and that would be a good thing that would be something that i would like to see so i'm cautiously optimistic uh, i'm i'm intrigued by how this is going to go um i'll tell you as somebody who writes these articles trying to project when prospects are going to come up and when you should pick them up in redraft leagues it's really 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 chaotic and really hard to know because teams are all kind of operating in very different ways which is good it's good for baseball that teams are doing things differently but man it makes it uh, it makes it really hard to know like when when the heck are the rays going to call wander franco when are the mariners finally going to call jared kelenic when are these things going to happen and then you know i make all of these projections and say all right Daniel Lynch looks like a guy who's coming up in July and bam, he's in the rotation way before July. So it's fun, but it is, uh, it is, it is chaotic. Yeah, no, it certainly is. Well, and you, you mentioned uh, Mr. Wander and he had mm-hmm. a triple on day one. He hit a ding dong tonight. Yep. yep. Uh, both balls were put into the air and that should be noteworthy because there was a lot of <laughs> haterism on his ability to yes. do that. Maybe he followed a little bit of that Twitter stuff. Maybe he's got a burner account trying to <laughs> trying to troll some of those haters. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited to see, well, you know, Wander and AAA. That's, uh, that's one of those ones where it's going to be hard to predict uh, when he comes up. But if he continues to, to mash, it's going to be real hard for the Rays to, uh, to ignore what's going on there. Um, and I, I sort of wanted to, and, you know, you mentioned it earlier, and I'm just sort of, I'd like to hear your thoughts a little bit more on McClanahan Um, Mm -hmm. and sort of like McClanahan versus Lynch, you know, coming out of college, McClanahan had a little bit of uh, injury risk associated with his name, but it was always understood that the stuff was ridiculous. Maybe not exactly what we've seen so far, which is just out Mm -hmm. of control, but uh, you know, do you think that uh, he didn't have that many pitches when he came out of the game? Uh, and do you think he's going to be someone who the Rays are just not going to let go five, six innings? Do you think he's really going to be that sort of three, four inning guy for, you know, probably this year and beyond, or is this a building year where he's a three, four inning guy this year and maybe they let him go five, six, you know, in the upcoming year? Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's obviously, it's really hard to know with the Rays. I mean, when you look at one of their most recent hard throwing, really talented left-handers in Blake Snell, he was never, he, he went five a lot, but he was almost never allowed to go six. Now that is also some somewhat of a Blake Snell issue uh, as much as he outwardly was frustrated by getting pulled from games early in his career in San Diego thus far, unless it changed very recently. Um, he hasn't gone into the sixth inning as well. So <laughs> I don't know. It's how much of it is a raised thing versus a Blake Snell thing, but with regards to McClanahan uh, yeah, I think he's probably not going to go deeper than 
four or five innings much this year. Uh, and it's it could be a race thing. Like I said, it could also just be a, teams are really, really babying pitchers, like really babying pitchers. McClanahan did throw over 120 or about 120 innings in 2019, which is more than a lot of pitchers in his situation did. But still, that's 120 innings in 2019. And who knows how many in 2020, probably a similar amount would be my guess, but they were at the alternate training site, not in competitive situations, you know, in game situations, it's obviously a little bit different, more of a strain on your arm. So I think he's going to get babied. I don't know that it's, I think a lot of people are going to assume that it's just a race thing and that he's always going to be babied. I'm not necessarily buying into that. I think a lot of teams are going to baby their young, hot, young pitching prospects, the way that Tampa's are doing with McClanahan. But and what the way that they're doing with Luis Patino and with Brent Honeywell, like this, this is a consistent thing with them. Um, but I, I think the thing to note about McClanahan and when you see guys who have his kind of stuff and you see his arm slot and you see the just violence with which he throws a baseball, I think the immediate assumption is that there's going to be some serious command issues. And McClanahan's the grades on him for command are not great, I think. Uh, Eric Long and hanging at Fangraphs gives him 40 future value, 35 current. But most of his minor league career has actually had pretty good command. He hasn't thrown a ton of innings, but it hasn't really been a huge problem for him. So that's what I'm most, most, most curious about. If McClanahan can limit walks and can generally find the strike zone, it's going to be really hard to continually push him to only throw four or five innings per game. If he's cruising, and certainly he won't continue to cruise at this level, he'll have bad outings, it's going to happen. But if he has a game where he's cruising, and he's not wasting a lot of pitches, he's not walking guys, he's not getting super deep into counts, the race should let him go six, you know, let him go seven. Like there's, you know, if he's, if he's proven the ability to do it, if he's stayed healthy, which for the most part uh, in the minor leagues, he's, he's been relatively healthy. There's no reason not to do that. And so it'll be an interesting test of Tampa's kind of team philosophy or perceived team philosophy, at least uh, versus a guy like McClanahan who really fits the bill of like, hard throwing three inning guy. Like he just looks like that guy uh, and the Rays employ those guys. So it just seems like everybody's kind of putting the pieces together and assuming that that's what we're going to have in Shane McClanahan. But I'm cautiously optimistic. I know I already used that term, but that's how I feel about McClanahan potentially being like a five, six inning guy. I wouldn't hold my breath on it happening this year. Um, but like, you know, for those in dynasty leagues, certainly like you got to be really excited about a, what we've seen so far and b the thought of him, trying to be at least close to this good for six innings my word like that you'd be getting incredible value out of him if he's able to do that and i don't think it's this foregone conclusion that that's just not going to be a part of his game uh, i think there's a chance i you know it's, it's certainly there's certainly still up in the air with tampa and kind of the way that they make decisions but um i'm not i'm not throwing it in completely and saying yeah there's no way he's going to be a, a long-term starter or a, a quality starts type of guy he, he might get there yeah, it's, it's 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 definitely a little bit of wait and see right now. And you know, it's it's an organization that is very hard to predict exactly how they're going to treat each each individual player. And as much mm-hmm. as we think they have a blueprint, uh, they 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 get a little bit more nuance with it um, than uh, mm-hmm. than you know we have access to. So yeah, it's a wait and see. But right now, it's fun to watch. When I think uh, that makes them successful. Sorry. Um, no, you're good. I think the the fact that they're willing to be somewhat adaptable with some of their guys, and and again, they they drew a lot of kind of 
criticism for Snell and maybe they were onto something, you know, if Snell comes out and throws seven innings in each of his next five games for the Padres and dominates, then I'll look foolish, but like, you know, they're, they're willing to kind of make some concessions, make some adjustments. And I think, you know, they also seem to target guys who kind of fit that mold. Like I said, Patino, that's, I think that's who Luis Patino is going to be is a guy who throws really good for three or four innings. I don't know that he's ever going to be a guy who, who goes six, seven, eight on a regular basis. He's super young. That could obviously change, but it seems like they're targeting guys like that. And I think that they've kind of just zeroed in on McClanahan being this guy, but the Rays are willing to make adjustments. And if McClanahan can basically be Jacob deGrom, which that's a really tremendous uh, unlikelihood that that's going to happen. But if he continues to pitch this well, I think that they'll, they'll start to let him stretch it out. Maybe not this year, but eventually. And that's what makes them frustrating for people who are trying to predict what they're going to do, but it's ultimately, I think what makes them successful too. For sure. It does. It absolutely does. Well, before we get to uh, another guy that you had a chance to dig in on, I just want to let everyone know that Spencer Torkelson is officially a bust over three, three K's on day one. Um, pretty much <laughs> just going to wrap that up. Don't think we can expect much from him. Not going to see think he, him. I think he got a knock tonight. <laughs> I just, he's, I got to throw it out there. I think he got a knock tonight. So he's, he's back on. Time. I'm back. I'm back on Torkelson. Top five prospects. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Oh, day one in the books. Okay. Uh, then another one that I uh, just go a little negative on as well, which is a little bit more concerning than Torkelson uh, to me, although it is one game. So everyone, you know, calm down, including myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nolan Jones went over four in AAA with four strikeouts um, yeah. on his first day. And that was, mm, I mean, you know, it's one game. It's not, it's not too, it's not too much cause for concern. I'm, I'm on record as uh, having dropped Jim Tomei after he went over five with five K's. And then he had oh, the best no. year. He had the best year of his career. Uh, that was the first year I started playing fantasy. So how about that? Um, but yeah, uh, I was just surprised to see that, you know, it's sort of going, going to your, your earlier point where triple a right now is not super stacked. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really see, you know, you got Wander, obviously uh, Nate, uh, Nate Pearson had a great start, struck out eight guys, yeah. uh, uh, you know, for the, for the Toronto organization, but I just wasn't, you know, going over the rosters where a lot of guys were, were placed triple a just seemed to be a little bit lacking. Uh, when it came to when it came to placements and I don't have really any grand crystal ball thing to say about that but the one thing I did see that that sort of shocked me a little bit was Nolan Jones going over four with 4k which is just a horrible way to start out a season where you're trying to eventually make the major league club Um, so again one game uh, not a big deal but this is what I'm here for to give you those little nuggets and uh, (laughs) and and it's only been a couple days so the nuggets will get shinier and coalier as the uh, as the season goes on and we get more data and I'm able to watch more people and talk to more smart people about what's going on Uh, the other guy that you had a chance to you know really watch a little bit more and and check in on was Jackson Kowar who you mentioned earlier having a good start Uh, what's uh, what do you got on him from his first outing yeah, you know, I, I, I'm definitely paying a lot of attention to what the Royals are doing uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, they're, they're just their major league team is good. And it's kind of fun to watch them have some success and kind of buck the trend as a rebuilding team that's willing to actually go out and sign guys like Mike Miner and Carlos Santana and, and aggressively promote prospects. That's something we've seen from them in the past. And certainly the Lynch uh, example from a few weeks ago was fantastic. Uh, and then you have Kowar, who's kind of I think doesn't get talked about quite as much as some of the other pitching prospects. Brady Singer got a lot of attention. Uh, certainly Daniel Lynch is getting a lot of attention right now. Asa Lacey uh, had his first start tonight. Uh, it didn't go great, but it's his first first minor league outing, and he's certainly a guy who I think is going to be very good. And then you have kind of Chris Bubich and Jackson Kowar, who are both 
viewed a little bit not as talked about, I guess, is the best way to put it. But Kowar was really, really good in his first outing here. And he was facing a, a lineup, a St. Paul lineup that had some had some dudes. You know, for, we talked about there's not a lot of dudes in, in uh, AAA. And I think for the most part, that's true. But this was a lineup that had Trevor Larnack, that had Brent Rooker, that had Ryan Jeffers, JT Riddle, uh, Zooey Len. Uh, pretty pretty decent lineup. You know, a lot of guys who are either top tier prospects or former major leaguers or current major leaguers in Jeffers case, you know, and he, he, I mean, he had a phenomenal start. Rooker went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Larnack went 0 for 3 with a K. Lynn went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Uh, and Kowar finished the game five and a third, two hits, two walks, nine Ks. He looked really good. Like he, he, he looked, uh, he was sharp. Uh, his command was good. He wasn't wasting a lot of pitches. He got pulled, uh, I think, quote unquote, early. I think that I saw a lot of people on Twitter who were upset that he got pulled so early. Again, teams are going to be really, really cautious with their pitchers uh, on the major league level and even at the minor league level. But but this was a nice outing from Kowar, another guy that I think just we don't want to forget about. I think he's got a chance to come in and be an immediately successful at the big league level and uh, the, the hardest part for him will be just breaking into Kansas City's rotation with the way that Danny Duffy has pitched with Brady Singer looking good. If, if Lynch holds down a role, uh, you know, and Mike Miner is a veteran guy who's going to hold down a role most likely. So they got they, they, they may not have a spot for Kohar right away, but I, I really liked what I saw here. This was uh, I haven't seen a ton of him. I watched him a little bit in college and I've seen a few starts from his last couple of years kind of periodically. Uh, but this was one of the first ones that I really sat down and watched for a while. And uh, I came away pretty impressed with, with how he looked. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, I haven't been able to watch that game at the stat line is looking very good. Uh, certainly a good start. Yeah. Danny Duffy, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's one of those ones where we'll see how long he can sustain it, but I definitely moved Danny Duffy in the off season as, as an afterthought on many, many teams that I have. And, uh, and then I, I got him on a couple of others so just sort of late round flyers um, for, uh, you know, just for some depth because I had chased hitting at the beginning of, uh, of the drafts or whatever. And man, uh, he's certainly going to, if he keeps doing this, uh, hold back a lot of those Kansas City arms. That is 100% the case. Him and him, you know, Miner's going to pitch innings, but what Duffy's doing is out of control. What's frustrating to me is the pitcher in Kansas City that I invested the most in. I have two shares of Brady Singer, so I feel good about that. And I have now two shares of Daniel Lynch. Um, but I invested significantly in Brad Keller and my God, that has like, he's about the only one who's just really, really struggled. And I'm like, well, that is just bad luck there, but, but they got enough options that if they need to end up doing something else with him, um, then that's probably when you'll see Kowar and, and, or Bubik and either way, it'll be a, it'll be a good time. Yeah, no, I will. And I mean, Kansas city's doing this without, uh, without Mondesi as well. Mm -hmm. Um, which, um, Maybe they're doing it in spite of Montessi. I don't know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> who, knows? who knows? Who knows how good Alberto Montessi actually is beyond, you know, being an NFBC all-star. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but it'll be, it'll be, if, if they can get him back and I mean, that's, you know, that was something that a lot of people said before the season was that Kansas city might, they might have a little sneaky action going on. You know, you sign yeah. players. If you had a, a whole lineup of Carlos Santana's, you'd have a heck of a lineup. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The man can get on base and generally, generally gets a, a fair enough of hits. And, and he even stole a base this year. So was, he's just not done. Carlos Santana is far <laughs> from done. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. I wanted to, uh, I want to go over a couple other, a couple other interesting performances from the, from the first day that I thought were notable. Um, let's see. Michael Harris of uh, of the Braves. Michael Harris is someone that I keep hearing about on Twitter from various trusted sources. 
and he went three for four and he's someone that we have not had that much exposure to, but is gaining quite a bit of helium for, uh, for the Braves. Uh, and yeah, just obviously one game, all those things I can say it a million times, but he came out three for four, uh, solid. And I don't know, would you got any, uh, any general thoughts on Michael Harris? Are you riding the train? You sort of not so sure about him yet? Yeah. I mean, obviously not super sure. It's uh, you know, first game at high a, obviously he only had, uh, 93 plate appearances in single A in 2019. But uh, yeah, I tend to trust a lot of the helium. Um, you know, certainly there are players that, that get that helium who uh, don't end up panning out or certainly don't, uh, don't reach the levels that people expected. But generally when you start hearing some stuff and, and multiple people start to corroborate it, it's worth, worth paying attention to. Uh, Harris is, you know, he's got some speed. He's got some raw power. Uh, you, you can't hate that when it, when a guy's got power and speed and the big thing for him will be seeing how, how much he strikes out, struck out 24% of the time in single a, that's not great. Uh, so we'll have to see if he can continue to make solid contact, but so far so good after his first game, you know, nabbed a steal and had a couple of hits and uh, that's what you want to see starting out. So he's, he's one of those guys on that ever, ever long list of mine of players that I want to kind of keep tabs on. I'm just going to have uh, fan graphs tabs, that just cover my entire computer screen uh, from now until September. Yeah, no, that's, that's the life of the prospector <laughs> for sure. Tabs on yeah. tabs on tabs <laughs> and maybe a can of tab. So uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a couple, a couple other guys that I just wanted to, to highlight before we play a little prospect survivor. Um, and it's two guys that I think might actually, they could be up sooner rather than later, depending on opportunity and injuries and all the things we don't know from the major league organizations. Uh, they both did well on day one. Uh, the first guy is Lewin Diaz. Uh, he had a home run and went two for four. Uh, and he, he, you know, he was someone that is in the Miami organization. He came over from the twins and I was expecting a little bit more from him last year. And he a little bit fell on his face when it came to his debut. Uh, but he started the year in AAA. And I think if he continues to hit for, doesn't even need to be that much time, maybe a month that, you know, it depends a little bit on where Miami is, but it, it does sort of feel like, I mean, on the one hand, it doesn't, you know, it feels like the Braves are, are sort of top class in that division, but everyone last I checked was still under 500. Maybe they've, maybe someone's mm-hmm. crept to 500 there. So it feels a little bit more open because the Phillies are not bad. Uh, the Mets are also not bad, although they really try to be. Uh, and, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, Miami is just that team that I, I never can sleep on because they always seem to sort of come out of nowhere and, and things coalesce. So Lewin Diaz for me is just someone to, for dynasty players out there to, to keep an eye on his performances because he could be a little bit of a lightning in a bottle situation. If he comes up and he's riding a, and you know, he's found his groove a little bit. He can be a pretty cheap source of power in the middle of uh, in the middle of your season. If he, there's not much holding him back at, at first base when it comes to Miami. Uh, so if he's hitting in, in, uh, in AAA, I think he could really come up and, and do some damage. The other player uh, is uh, is in the same division, actually uh, it's Luis Garcia. For, uh, for the Washington Nationals. There's multiple Luis Garcias out there, but this one plays for the Nationals. And uh, he also hit a home run um, for uh, for the Rochester Red Wings, actually. And he went two for four. And he had a little bit of a cup of coffee last year. And he, he looked a little bit overmatched, but he also showed some signs of, you know, having you know quite a bit of natural ability in the bats. And, you know, he's someone that a couple of my prospect buddies are really, really high on when it comes to what he might be able to do. And uh, yeah, Lewin, he's... 
there isn't, again, it's, there is, there's definitely openings in Washington. Uh, and if they continue to hang around with sort of their, we don't really like to play defense type of way of, uh, of playing baseball. Uh, he's someone that could also come up and make a little bit of noise. He's not, he's not going to be like a dead power hitter. He's more of a complete, complete hitter sort of helps out in a lot of, a lot of places, but yeah, those are, those are two guys that uh, did well on day one, hit home runs that are in AAA that are scratching the surface um, of, uh, of, of cracking through. Uh, you favor, favor either of those guys or, or, you know, not a fan? Yeah, I, 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 I'm fascinated by the fact that Miami's, it seems like whenever they promote hitting prospects, they massively struggle at first. Like it's almost universally for the past few years. Monty Harrison really struggled. Jazz Chisholm really struggled. Isan Diaz really struggled. Jesus Sanchez really struggled. Lewin Diaz, like all of those guys really struggled in their first taste of the major leagues. Now, that could be a sign that maybe they're prospects just aren't as good as we thought uh, and certainly i have downgraded like a guy like harrison and isan diaz has kind of faded from what people expected him to be but I, i'm less concerned about diaz obviously jazz chisholm was a great example of don't fade a guy immediately because they you know your first taste of the major leagues is really hard and sometimes uh, it just takes a little bit of adjustment and then you you kind of hit the ground running and i hope that that's what we see out of ds uh, I'm, I'm not super optimistic you know he ran a five percent walk rate 30 percent strikeout rate uh in his 14 games in the in the major leagues last year uh you may see how oh, it's only 14 games and yeah his strikeout numbers weren't horrible throughout the minor leagues but his walk numbers were for the most part so he's he's not going to be he's not a super patient hitter at the plate probably not going to draw a ton of walks if he doesn't make more contact he's going to have some problems so i'm i'm not sure how i feel on diaz yet Uh, i'd like to think he bucks that trend a little bit and and becomes a really solid hitter for miami but uh, we really need to see how that contact translates at the next level Garcia is a guy who's who's played a little bit uh, at the major league level this year before the AAA season started. Uh, hasn't had a ton of success. Had more success uh, in his little cameo in 2020. Uh, I'm I'm not thrilled about him to be honest. I've never been super high on him. I know a lot of people are. Uh, he just strikes me as a guy who's going to make a fair amount of contact. Uh, doesn't draw a lot of walks. Doesn't do a lot of like I, I think always in the dynasty fantasy mm-hmm. aspect. And so. For me, I don't see a lot of appeal with Garcia. He doesn't draw walks. He doesn't hit a lot of home runs. He steals some bases, but that's not an art that we see a lot of at the big league level. But he's super young. He's already gotten a chance with the team. I think he could develop into a really good uh, baseball player. Uh, And the fact that he's 6'2", 2'10", like maybe he can find some muscle at some point and start hitting more home runs. But um, he's not a guy that I'm rushing out to to go grab anywhere uh, and probably won't unless we see some noticeable changes. You know, for me, for some of the, for some of, for a guy like Luis Garcia, and, uh, you know, I think the, the extreme version of this is, is like what you're seeing out of Nick Madrigal right now. Mm-hmm. And as much as it took, it took you this long to bring up Nick Madrigal, man, we're almost an hour in. Man, I, you know, I have been <laughs> holding back. I mentioned the White Sox earlier. I thought for sure you would just dive right in. (laughs) I know. I know. Well, you know, I have a modicum of self-control here and there. Just, just a, just a smidge, but just uh, a modicum, just a modicum. But uh, you know, for me, it's, I, it's not like you want to build a team, a fantasy team of those types of players. Sure. No, of course not. But in an age where, I mean, this is the lowest, batting average season we have on record so far, I believe. Right. And and batting average on balls and play is at a is at a record low for Major League Baseball in general. Um 
and I mean, they're even trying to move the mound back and up and down and, and they're trying to do, right. figure out everything to make it more interesting. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm pretty interested. Just let the young kids play and link me to right. their Twitter account. Um, you jazz Chisholm <laughs> has blue hair and I'm, 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 I'm entertained. I'm entertained. Okay. Uh, so, but you know, it's nice to, when I'm thinking about like rostering a, like a guy, like I talked about last week, uh, Adelise Garcia, Mm-hmm. When I think about rostering a guy like that, who I know is going to be like Lou and Diaz, frankly, low walks, maybe some high K, maybe some decent mm-hmm. power uh, overall. If you if you can give up a roster spot to a player like a Nick Madrigal, like maybe a Luis Garcia could be, uh, or a David right. Fletcher, I guess, is maybe a, a better example um, of a, like, mm-hmm. sort of an established major league player. I often think about is sort of the who do you pair with Joey Gallo? to create, you know, at an average, when you average out the statistics, you actually get a pretty complete player in two roster spots. Mm -hmm. You just have to cobble it together with one guy who only walks and hits dingers and another guy who only hits singles and gets some steals. Um, So yeah, that's just something I think about when it comes to Garcia is will the 300 hitter or the guy who can at least hit 290, 295 and maybe not have just a horrible on base percentage. So we'll see on Garcia, but is that player going to be, their value used to be sort of, you know, don't even really think about them because they don't do much. Luis Arias, uh, Arias is a great mm-hmm. example as well. Is like you might need a little bit of the the single ying to the power yang of some of these players that are coming up and and are really only able to provide you sort of that one thing. And it, it's category dependent. You know what I mean? I play in a lot of leagues with a lot of categories that give uh, that give a little bit more value to sort of the specialized hitters, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I play in a league that, you know, that, that docks players for strikeouts as well. So, you know, when I think about Mr. Nicky two strikes and merging him with a player like Adelis Garcia, you know, you combine those two stat lines and you frankly have a heck of a player. So I'm curious how the 300 hitter that's sort of quote unquote, an empty average will actually evolve in a fantasy game that's uh, and in a, in, you know, evolve frankly in a, in a baseball world, real world that is a little bit more content to just be okay with the three outcomes. And frankly, they're kind of content to be okay with two and a half outcomes and we don't even need to walk that much. Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I think, you know, I I frame a lot of my fantasy advice through OBP leagues. And I have to remember sometimes that standard leagues are not OBP leagues. (laughs) They are batting average leagues. And so for me, looking at a guy like Garcia, I'm just kind of like, Oh, gross, because he also doesn't walk all that much. So like, even if he does reach his potential to hit 295, which I think is is certainly doable for him. Absolutely. uh, If he hits 295, but he has like a 325 OBP, I'm like, all right, I have an average for my team. That's average. And he's not doing, you know, he's not doing anything else. So, but again, in a batting average league, if your whole team's hitting 235 and Garcia's hitting 295, that's going to help a lot. So, so those are, you know, again, it's, it's obviously category dependent. That's, that's obvious, but, but a guy like Garcia, definitely, you know, I, I roster David Fletcher in every league that I play in. That's not OBP. So I, I was, you know, saying I was a little down on Garcia, but I roster the guy that he could conceivably kind of turn into if he reaches that threshold, because they, they absolutely have value in, in those formats. Yeah, they, they certainly do. They certainly do. Well, we're going to wrap up this Nick Madrigal commemorative hour uh, with a little <laughs> prospect survivor. Uh, we're going to do catcher edition, uh, a little first year player death as well, but you know, they, 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 they came out hot. We got a guy. Uh, let's see. What did Mr. Man do? Oh yeah. Patrick Bailey, three for five, mm-hmm. started his day out. We got Dylan Dingler went yard today. Uh, and then we have the high school boy, Tyler Soderstrom. Who would you vote off the Island of those three? Okay. Um, I immediately made a decision, but I'm going to talk through it a little bit. 
Um, I really like Bailey. Uh, I think he's going to be really good. I'm fascinated by the Giants picking so many catchers um, when they already are planning to develop Joey Bart. But uh, I, I think Patrick Bailey's solid. Uh, I was a huge Dingler fan. Uh, I like that pick a lot for Detroit. Um, it signified, but, well, I, you don't always know that a p- specific player's position is indicative of how they feel about other players in the organization. But to me, it felt that they were finally ready to admit that maybe Jake Rogers isn't going to be like a perennial gold glove winning starting catcher in the major league level because he hasn't been anywhere close to that up to this point. Um, so I like those two picks. I do like Soderstrom. I'm not trying to go against that, but uh, I'm really weary of high school catchers. And that just makes me nervous enough that I think I would vote him off the island. Um, but it's close. Um, I, you know, I just, I catching prospects are so freaking hard, man. Like they're so tough. Uh, and the, about the, about the only catching prospect that I'm really uh, super confident in is Adley Rushman. That's about it uh, because of just how polished his game is. Like I'm not even that sold on Joey Bart yet uh, in part because his, you know, his major league performance last year wasn't very good, but uh yeah, out of those three guys, I think I'd probably take the the more advanced guys a little bit. Although, uh, obviously, Soderstrom was a really high pick and, and a guy who could who could definitely end up being really good. It's just high school catchers are so tough. Yep, and I and he he may you know because the 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 bat is uh, advanced or or so the reports are saying that the bat is advanced and he did well at the alternate side even even for his age. Mm-hmm. chances are he could come off that position as well. Whereas I don't really see that future for Bailey or Dingler. I mean, if, if Bailey's coming off the position, then the giants are doing very weird things that I really don't understand because it seems like yeah. they, really, they really took Bailey to, to allow Joey Bart to not feel like he has to end up as a catcher. Right. Um, and Hey, Buster Posey took a year off having a great season. Um, <laughs> just out of control. Funny how I actually got into a hilarious argument with one of my friends and I'm just going to get your take on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Harder, harder to do physically, be a major league, be a starting major league catcher, or be or, or play in the NHL as a, as a as a forward. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, like hardest physically on your body, I assume yes. is what we're discussing. Yep. Because obviously both of those things are extremely hard just in general. <laughs> yes. To do. Um, man, I I think I'm actually going to say. NHL, but it's really close. I don't know for sure. Um, catching, especially now there, there uh, more guys are dropping to a knee, which uh, helps alleviate some of the strain on their bodies and runners are stealing less. So there's a little bit less strain on them and playing in the NHL just seems like it's really freaking hard. Um, but I, I think it's pretty close because it's also a much longer baseball season too. you know, 162 games versus uh, less hockey games. I don't know how many games they play, but I know that it's less than that. Yeah, they they play eighty two games, um, okay. and I, uh, I, I mean, I, I came up as a goalie in hockey, um, so I can't mm-hmm. really speak to the rigors that uh, you know being a defenseman or a forward puts on your body. Right. And uh, I'm I'm just a man sitting here in my basement uh, talking to you. So I also <laughs> so that's also my expertise. But uh, yeah, it, it, it just seems to me that. Uh, the crouching, the amount of time that you have to spend crouching yeah. for, you know, 130, if you're playing a full season, you're taking all those games off just as a matter of course. 
right. and then the amount of times you do end up getting hit uh, with baseballs is pretty pretty aggressive. But you know, a, a hockey is incredibly hard. I, like I said, I played it growing up, and it, it wrecks your body. And you are on blades that allow your body to go very 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 fast and run into other people and run into static boards and all mm-hmm. those things. But um, but you're also you know if you're a defenseman and you're elite, you know like some of the elite defensemen are playing 40 minutes a night, and then they're doing that 82 times. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I'd give the edge. I think I'd give the edge to catchers and I tip my hat to both of them because it's yeah. ridiculous no matter what you're doing. Absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's certainly no, uh, no, no horse riding like Madison Bumgarner does. And <laughs> that's, that's gotta be harder than, uh, than everything else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, to answer the, uh, to answer the, the prospect survivor question for myself, I would have a hard time. I've become a bit of a Soderstrom fan just because, mm-hmm. and frankly, it is more of a, you know, I say they're catchers now. I don't necessarily expect him to stick there because the bat is good enough where they may just move him off to sort of protect that going forward. And, sure. and he seems to be athletic enough, at least on reports to, to move to another position, be a third short, I'm not short, a third, maybe second, maybe outfield most likely uh, for him to troll around out there. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I have, a, I just have a hard time with that. And I just like Bailey quite a bit. I watched a lot of him in college, uh, just sort of like his overall profile. And I really like sort of what the organization said about him with, with the handcuff on, uh, on Bart. So I'd probably yeah. go with Dingler, but again, it's survivor. So I'm giving away someone good. Um, yep. yeah, I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably let Dingler go, but, um, I'm probably also only saying that because Trevor who didn't come on tonight and, uh, <laughs> just want to throw shade at his West Michigan team. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think for me, Bailey would definitely be first. And I think you could argue either way uh, on the other two guys. Yeah. Well, uh, before we uh, get out of here, what, uh, what do you got coming out this week on pitch list? Anything you want to plug? Yeah, obviously I talked about the stash articles a few times. Uh, those come out on Saturday morning for the uh, pitcher top 10 pitching prospects to stash in redraft leagues. And then on Sunday morning, the top 10 hitting prospects to stash in redraft leagues. So those come out every single week. Uh, right now, there's not a lot of changes on those articles because a lot of the big name prospects haven't been called up yet. But as we see guys like Lynch and McClanahan and so on get called up, you kind of see some new names to read about. And then I'm doing a dynasty deep, deep dive. I try to say that five times fast. Uh, that's going to come out on Monday. That's on Tigers reliever, Alex Lang. Uh, who has had a pretty strong start to the year. He was a first-round pick out of LSU back in 2017, and he did a couple interviews with Fangrass where he talked a lot about his breaking stuff and kind of got really analytic-y and really nerdy, and uh, I thought some of the quotes he said were really cool, and those came out before we actually saw him in the big leagues, so now that you can read all of these quotes that he said about his breaking stuff, and then there's actually good video with nice camera angles because it's major leagues, uh, so I'm going to kind of put all of that together in an article that's going to come out on Monday that I think uh, people really enjoy even if you're not super into middle relievers on bad teams uh, it'll still be a fun one i mean that's my favorite thing next to <laughs> next, yeah it's everybody's favorite thing next to cheesecake it's middle relievers on on horrible major league baseball teams um uh, for sure no i know i i i read i know what you're talking about on the on fangrass that was some interesting stuff i always sort of like it mm-hmm. when uh generally speaking i like it when when players get analytic and they sort of seem interested in the same things that you and i are yep. interested in yeah, absolutely um, they just have the ability to uh, throw baseballs very hard with a really lot of hard. break. Yes. <laughs> and, um, that's not something I do. So, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's super cool. Uh, everyone check that out. Give a look. 
and you can see all those stashes because I think it is going to be honestly one of the better years for that type of article of mm-hmm. should you be stashing this year because there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes out of nowhere and just because they're like we said just because they're in triple A just because they're in high A doesn't mean that they're not mm-hmm. going to make a major league start right so yeah uh, well you can catch uh, catch all that at pitcherlist.com and you can uh, catch Andy on Twitter at Andy PNW correct. Andy Patton, PNW. Andy Patton, PNW. He's not the only Andy in the Pacific Northwest, though we <laughs> like to think of him as such. And uh, you can catch me at Caught Looking with a V instead of a U. And you can catch the podcast at On the Farm PL. Feel free to hit us up there if you want us to uh, check out any any prospects that you don't have the time to uh, stay up late and watch the the, the minor league baseball <laughs> camera angles. I'm happy to do that for you and give whatever report I can on anything you're interested in uh, in having us look into deeper. I think that'd be uh, a lot of fun. And I'm going to be keeping tabs on all these guys and watching the minor leagues and seeing how uh, seeing how it progresses because we got we got day one spencer torkelson already went from a top five prospect to a top 500 prospect back to a top five prospect so <laughs> it's really it's fast and furious here at on the farm and uh and andy thanks for for joining me tonight i really appreciate it yeah thanks kyle i'm excited to talk when there's a little bit more of a sample size to deal with uh, in the coming weeks but it's, it's it's been a fun start and i'm looking forward to more absolutely until then i am going to work on my breaking balls and we will see you all next week thank you Thank you.